Eagles Entertainment. With the 13th pick in the 2022 NFL Draft, the Philadelphia Eagles select... You're listening to the Journey to the Draft Podcast. Welcome to the Journey to the Draft Podcast, presented by LifeBrand. I'm your host, Fran Duffy, and week four of college football is kaput. We've had a couple of big upsets, as always, plenty of action to discuss, and we're here to break it down. Top of the show, myself and Dane Brugler for Saturday Scouting. No Ben Fennel this week, taking the week off here uh, on the podcast, but Dane and I, we've got some game balls to hand out. We've got our plays of the week, some future studs, a whole lot more. We'll hit on it right at the top of the show. After that, we'll transition to Under the Hood, where Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network, he's going to stop by, and to be honest, as we're recording this, I have no idea what position we're talking about. I'm going to let Kyle decide uh, what his favorite position is to break down. And I just want to pick his brain about his process, how his evaluations have changed over the years, what he prioritizes at that position. We do all of that in Under the Hood, where, again, the segment is focused on let's really kind of get into the nitty gritty of what makes a great player great. And that's what we're doing there in Under the Hood with Kyle Krabs at the end of the show. As always, if you've got any questions at all about this draft class, about uh, any prospects, if you've got a mock draft for us to break down, head on over to Apple Podcasts. Leave us that leave us that question in the comment box. We will hit it, hit on it here in an upcoming show. That said, uh, let's get into it. Excited to chat with Dane Brugler here. Talk about week four in college football. It's time for Saturday scouting. It's time for Saturday scouting. All right, excited to catch up here with Dane Brugler as we start our Saturday scouting. And Dane, a uh, fun weekend here in college football, week four in the books. Uh, take us through uh, your game ball. Who deserves the uh, the best game of the week award in your eyes? In honor of Ben, I'm going to cheat a little bit here and name a few people. Okay. Um, but uh, look, the Ohio State offense, uh, they were doing whatever they wanted against the, that Wisconsin defense. Obviously, C.J. Stroud, uh, his touch as a passer, it's hard to stop. Uh, the talent at receiver, running back. It's awesome. Um, I, I've become the president of the Cade Stover uh, fan club. Uh, his emergence at tight end has been just uh, so much fun to watch, both as a blocker and as a pass catcher. But my takeaway, uh, my game ball, it's going to that offensive line. Uh, they completely owned the line of scrimmage uh, against the Badgers. Keanu Benton, arguably the top senior defensive tackle in this draft, he was a non-factor. Uh, you wouldn't even know that he was out there uh, th- with the way he played. Nick Herbig on the edge, he's one of the most more disruptive players in college football. Uh, I thought he made some some really nice plays against the run, uh, but he had zero pressures. Uh, left tackle, Paris Johnson, he, he shut him down. Uh, and I thought he lived up to that first-round hype. Uh, Dewan Jones at right tackle is playing more controlled this season, which is exactly what scouts wanted to see for a guy that's, uh, you know, just his size, which we don't see very often. Uh, you know, the kid from Minnesota last year, uh, you know, he's in that conversation in terms of size. But Dewan Jones – Six, eight and a half, 370 pounds, uh, 36 and an eighth arms, 11 and five inch, five eighths inch hands, uh, almost 90 inch wingspan, which is just unbelievable. Uh, but he's a monster in the run game and he's getting the job done in pass pro. He's staying more balanced, uh, not getting out in front like we saw a lot last year. Uh, Whipler at center is outstanding. And then Donovan Jackson at left guard is only a true sophomore, first year starter, dominant in the run game. So um, as much as we talk about the guys touching the football uh, and calling the plays for Ohio State and that offense, the offensive line, I think, deserves a lot more attention. There, those are five future pros on that offensive line. 
So a lot to follow up with there. I, I think when you look at Dewan Jones, I know he's gotten a lot, a lot of buzz over the last like, couple of weeks just because of his improved style of play. I know that scouts were uh, relatively high on him coming into the season uh, as one of the top senior offensive tackles uh, over the summer. But I think when you look at Jones, like yeah, like the size is you know that that pops off the tape. But to your point, if he is playing more under control this year, uh, and he, look, he's never going to be like an elite athlete. Like that's not that's not his game. But there are plenty of tackles that survive without having that elite elite athleticism. And when you've got unique size, you know that can go a long way. Right, and when you you know understand that, hey, it, it just takes a while for guys to get around me. I don't have to do too much. I mean, I can just uh, you know as long as I'm balanced in my setup, as long as my body posture is in position to get the job done, I'm going to be okay. I mean, there are a lot of times, especially on last year's tape, uh, I mean, throw on the Michigan tape and Adrian Hutchinson, uh, he, he just went to town uh, with uh, going, working again, using Dewan Jones and letting his body work against him because uh, he's very high cut. Yep. Uh, he, he struggles to regain that balance and he'll end up on the ground because he leans too much. Uh, especially when he sets tall. And so uh, he'll still get grabby at times uh, in the run game. Uh, and that's just, I think that's probably going to be something that follows him uh, along his career. But uh, he, he's doing a very nice job in space. And that's what you want to see from him. And then uh, Paris Johnson, really quickly. Do you feel like he's starting, you know, we, it was a big question mark coming into the year, him playing tackle, and he was being mocked in the top 20, top 25 of pretty much every mock draft uh, over the course of the summer, at not having seen him play tackle. And the, the small sample size that we've seen, I know you've done the Notre Dame game. Obviously, you've done Wisconsin now. Uh, he's not really going to get another great test uh, until we get to, I guess, the, the Michigan game, uh, Dane. But I guess uh, looking at Paris Johnson, like, do you feel like he's lived up uh, to that preseason hype? Yeah, I mean, he'll, he'll get uh, Jacoby Winman, Michigan State, here True. in two weeks. Yep. Um, it, you know, Penn State's got a few guys. But, yeah, I mean, it's uh, Paris Johnson, for a guy that never played left tackle um, at the college level, he played in high school, but never played at the college level, uh, you know, he was getting a lot of hype over the summer, there's no doubt, and he has lived up to it. Um, and I think it's been uh, – I think the most encouraging thing with him is his issues – they're all fixable. They're all coachable. It's it's for lack of it's a lack of experience thing, not a lack of ability thing. And so I think that gives you a lot of uh, a lot of optimism for Paris Johnson moving forward. And between him and Fashanu, the the Penn State left tackle, yep. I think it's those two guys got duking it out to be OT one in this draft. I mean, Skronsky to me is a clear guard, and I think between those two guys, I, it's. It's going to be a fun, fun race to see how they develop the rest of the year. Uh, do they continue to, you know, take steps forward? Uh, they're both young guys. Uh, they're both first-year starters at left tackle, so you know, there's going to they're probably going to have their lumps, but uh, they're both really, really gifted big men. So for me and for my game ball, I ended up going with one of the more uh, impressive wins of the weekend, and that was Tennessee getting that win over Florida. Uh, I know it's like the first time in a few decades that Florida has lost to both Kentucky and Tennessee in the same season. But uh, looking at Hendon Hooker, the super senior quarterback, uh, 460 total yards, 349 passing, 112 rushing, three total touchdowns in this game, and just watching it looked confident. He looked decisive. The playmaking ability we know is always there. You see him running away from sacks, um, but also like, again, speaking of the decisiveness and the comfort in year two in this offense, uh, him getting to check downs, him delivering impressive throws up and down the field, uh, and maybe most impressive, Dane, he did it without Cedric Tillman uh, in this game, who did not play. Yeah. And so, uh, Hendon Hooker, let's give him some flowers here. Um, I think I had some questions about him coming into the year. Uh, I know some were high on him, but I think this has uh, been a good start to him in year two in this uh, offense with Josh Heupel. 
Yeah, no doubt. And, and that's that's the thing. He's building on what he put on tape last year. I mean, he'll still miss high. Um, you know, there's there are times where uh, his internal clock is a little bit off, but he's really he's an athletic scrambler. He gets the ball out uh, really quickly on on those receivers. And, you know, I, I let me ask you, how, how much is age a factor for you as an evaluator? Because, you know, with with Hooker, he's a six year senior. He's going to be a 25 year old rookie. That matters for a lot of teams. Um, but I do think we're not talking about a first round pick here, right? We're talking about more of a guy that's going to be drafted in rounds between rounds three and six, probably. And so it's a different trajectory. And so I think we're, we look at age a little bit differently when, when you frame it that way. I think for me, like age is, look, it's obviously a layered nuanced conversation, right? When you start talking about a prospect's age, but to me, like, just like, uh, you know, cutting it down to basics, it's almost like, okay, like if you're a little bit older, I'd rather you not be like super developmental. So if Hooker comes in and shows like, all right, well, this guy can come in and, uh, you know, while I said it, listen, he's only a two-year starter at Tennessee, he also started uh, six eight. He started uh, 14 games um, at Virginia Tech before transferring to Tennessee. So he's played a decent amount of ball. He had 25 starts under his belt coming into this season. Um, he's a big kid. He's athletic. To me, it was more just like, okay, how developmental – are we talking in terms of his, uh, you know, his transition to the NFL? And that's where, you know, there was like, who was the tight end uh, a few years ago? This is like, we're going like mid 2010s now, Dan. There was the tight end from UMass that a lot of people, was it like Gene Sifrin? Is that the name of the, is that, is that who I'm thinking of? Oh, wow. What a, what a pull, oh. uh, mid, mid sentence there. I mean, we're pretty sure the kid's name was Gene Sifrin. <laughs> He was a, a really athletic yeah, tight end that like didn't play a ton of ball, and people were people were excited about him from a mock draft standpoint. But he was like so developmental, and he was going to be like a, from if memory serves, like a 27, 28 year old. And it's like all right, well by the time he figures it out, he's already like thirty, right? And so that's to me like that's that's an extreme case. But to me, it's like uh, whenever I start talking about a player's age, that's the the bit, and especially when we're talking once we get into like you know round three, round four, round five, and on, it's okay. By the time you do figure it out. What what's the the uh, you know what's the the ROI uh, at that point? You know what I mean? What's the return on investment? So um, that's kind of how I look at it with Hendon Hooker. Is if you feel like he's got starting upside in the NFL, you can look past the look past the fact that uh, he's 25, right? I think especially a quarterback because it's so valuable uh, of a position. Obviously, uh, I think you can look past it. Yeah, and, and the other part of this is you know he's for a guy that's uh, you know 24 years old going up against. 20 year olds and 21 year olds and, and like you know that that you know so how much does that factor and that that's a part of it too but yep. i mean I, I give hooker a lot of credit because his ball placement i think is getting a lot better he's a lot more comfortable and confident uh throwing the football uh there were i, I flagged uh quite a few plays from the florida tape uh from over the weekend where it's just beautiful placement where only his guy could get it uh especially on some of those crossing routes uh working the middle of the field so yeah head and hooker uh and we've mentioned it before the this senior class of quarterbacks Will Levis is at the top yep. and then two through six, you know, cause usually those are the guys that get drafted. Uh, that's, that's going to be a really jumbled mix. And it's going to be, uh, as we, we go throughout the season, it's going to uh, be a lot of moving parts there. So, you know, Aiden O'Connell from Purdue and Clayton Toon, um, I, Sam Hartman with the way he played yeah. uh, this year uh, had a great game against club. If they win that game, I think he would have been, gotten my game ball. Mm. Uh, but nonetheless, he still played a great game. He's in that mix. But Hendon Hooker, 
right there as well. So yeah. it's it's an interesting group of senior quarterbacks. Yeah, Devin Leary, Keaton Slovis. You know, there are some people like Dracovich yeah. from Boston College, uh, DTR out of UCLA. Like there, there's a lot of names. Uh, you know, to your point, Ben Bryan at Cincinnati, Jake Hayner at Fresno. Uh, so there's it's a lot of names in the senior quarterback class. And coming in, like I said, like Hooker, he was a top five senior quarterback for me, just off the off the guys that I had studied. Um, you know, coming into the fall, and so I'm just excited to continue to watch uh, his development as he becomes more comfortable in that system. Let's now move to our uh, our one play takeaway here, Dane. Uh, just one play that stood out most from the weekend. Uh, I, I waxed poetic here on uh, on Hooker, so I'll let you kick it off. Uh, so I went with uh, the game we saw, what was it, Friday night? Um, the Syracuse, uh, they jumped out to a 4-0 start. They had a win over Virginia. Uh, and it was the defense that really showed up, mm. uh, especially cornerback Garrett Williams. He had three tackles, a forced fumble, a fumble recovery, uh, a pass breakup, and then he had this fourth quarter interception that you know, really was a, a pivotal part in that game, uh, a close game all the way through. Uh, Virginia, they uh, they ran kind of a, it was like a play-action boot with a tight end delay throwback. Williams, he's on his man who's running a post. He's taken uh, his man all the way across the field, but he works his eyes back to the quarterback. He realizes what's happening. He comes off his man and goes and picks off the pass. Uh, Williams, he has two interceptions this year. Both of them are on targets that weren't meant for his guy. It, it's it, examples of him using his eyes, understanding what the offense is trying to do, the play design, coming off his man, showing some of that range, and going and get the football. So he has physical traits to work with. But it's his FBI. I mean, that that's what really continues to impress me. And as a kind of a, a, a an aside with this conversation, Brendan Armstrong, the quarterback for Virginia, with what he's put on tape this season, I don't know how you can give him a draft book grade. It's it's been really rough for him. And really, this this that one play, it's a short story on one player rising and another one falling. Uh, I've seen you know we do the mock draft roundup segment every week with Ben. And I've seen Williams in a lot of mock drafts, the corner from Syracuse. Do you feel like he's that level of prospect? Is that what we're talking here? Like back end around one? I think he could. Yeah. A lot, you know, it's obviously a stopwatch position and, you know, if he needs to run a good time, needs to you know test well, but I, I think that he has a chance. I think in my first top 50, he was in like the later part of the thirties. So right there on that cusp where, you know, early second round type of guy to begin the year, but the way he's playing, yeah, you could make the argument. He belongs in the first round. He's been he's been playing really well, and like I said, it's it, it's the awareness. It, it's his ability to go make plays on the football. Um, I you know he's a right place, right time type of guy. And after a while, you realize it's more than just coincidence that he's able to do that. For me, I went to the uh, the 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 Maryland uh, Michigan game, but I guess like the craziest play. Of the weekend, I mean, it had to be like Arkansas's missed field goal at the end of that game, right? It bounces off <laughs> the top of the upright, goes backwards, right, no see, good. Did you uh, see Missouri-Auburn? Missouri, Missouri Auburn? Yeah. Did you see the end of that game? <laughs> Just insane. Like, a I, couple crazy finishes. Yeah. Never seen that before. Crazy. Yeah. So, you know, so Texas A&M gets the win there off that crazy kick. Yeah. But, um, you know, for me, like, my pick actually, uh, going back to that Michigan-Maryland game, uh, Blake Corum, touchdown. It was a fourth and one, end of the second quarter. Uh, Michigan's just trying to move the chains and kind of uh, keep the drive alive. Corum, one cut and go. And you just see that burst. You see the speed in the open field. Uh, runs away from the defense. I know you've talked a little bit uh, about Corum on the podcast. I studied him a little bit uh, as well back over the summer. Um, but just being able to see that juice there against that Maryland defense that, that is not terrible in terms of a, a prospect standpoint. Like They've got some players. Um, Corum uh, really showed the Jets there. It was just good to see that, that one cut and go aspect of his skill set. 
Yeah, Blake Corum's awesome. Uh, you know, he's his movements have this energy that just make you feel like he's going to make something happen. Mm. Uh, you know, he he he's just he's a he's a ball of energy as a runner, and he's he, he's compact, runs low to the ground, finishes every single run. Uh, you know, his feet just keep moving at contact. Uh, but he has a great job pairing his feet with his eyes. And, and that plays a great example where uh, that was a, was that a fourth down? It was, I believe? Fourth, yeah, fourth uh, and one. Yep. Yeah. So, I mean, he's going right up the middle. He sees that it's just congested. There's nothing there. Quick bounce out, finds the lane. Um, and I mean, I hat tip to uh, Luke Shoemaker too for the tight end, yeah. who I, I thought had a great game against Maryland as well. I mean, he, he's a guy that I think deserves more attention um, for his, what he does as a blocker, but then also as a pass catcher. He had a touchdown in that game. Um, I, he, he's really coordinated as a route runner, strong hands. Uh, I mean, Luke Shoemaker, there's nothing sexy about him, but I tell you what, I he's he's one of my top. Three senior tight ends. I as a prospect, I, he's a he's an NFL skill set. So that Michigan offense uh, has got a few things working for him. And important for Schoonmaker to come up big too, because Eric All uh, fighting through that injury. It sounds like that could yeah. be something that uh, is serious. They're trying to work through whether or not he's going to get a procedure done. I believe it's a back injury, right? So um, yeah. So with Eric All out, uh, it's good for Schoonmaker to step in. And they they platoon those guys anyway. They play a lot of tight ends in that offense. But uh, with All out, he is kind of a uh, more of a pass catching weapon for them. So Schoonmaker contributing is definitely big for that offense. Uh, let's go to the next category here: future stud, just guy that's ineligible for next spring, but just. A name to file away for the future. Uh, I'm going to go with a guy we've talked about, Will Shipley. Uh, he had over 100 yards rushing against Wake Forest, uh, you know, referenced earlier. Uh, I mean, this was, it felt like it was all about the quarterbacks, uh, you know, with the way DJ was playing, the way Sam Hart was playing. Uh, but Shipley, uh, did you see his fourth quarter touchdown that he had? Uh, I didn't watch anything at the one from yard line. Game. I was I was actually going to ask you. I know Uyangale like you know, was uh, catching a lot for for throwing as well as he did and yeah. playing as well as he did in that game. And, uh, and credit to the quarterbacks, they played well. But Shipley, he had a, in the fourth quarter, Clemson's down by a touchdown. Okay. It's goal from the one. So if he doesn't get in, they have to make a tough fourth and goal decision whether to go for it or kick the field goal and you know try to you know continue to, to fight back he gets the, his handoff and he uh it's meant to go up the middle it's there's nothing there he goes to his left he's at the four yard line gets hit somehow keeps his balance twists his way to the one yard line gets hit by two more wake forest defenders and just powers forward he reaches the ball across before his knee hit the ground uh, it tied up the game and, and really avoided that fourth down uh, decision and Clemson would go on to win that game. But it was just a really, really impressive got to have it run. And Will Shipley showed up big. Like I said, he had over 100 yards rushing. So he, he was a big part of that uh, uh, that game as well, which is it was a really fun game in that those or that early noon slated of uh, college football. Yeah, I missed uh, all of that slate, just kind of getting some stuff done around the house. Uh, at Temple, uh, they got a win, a 28-0 win uh, over UMass. And um, I wanted to give a shout-out to the true freshman quarterback, Kurt Warner's son, EJ Warner, first win as a starter. Only 50% passing, but threw a couple of touchdowns against the Minutemen. Uh, I, I mentioned a couple weeks ago that he had given uh, Temple a little bit of a spark when he was inserted in the lineup. Uh, when it was thrown in as a starter last week against Rutgers, took uh, took Rutgers to the limit. There was a, a close game uh, at the link the, the, back in week three came back this week with the win so uh ej warner especially if you're local here to philadelphia a name that you're going to hear plenty about here uh in the coming years true freshman quarterback uh from temple university and we give a shout out to uh, owen mccown too josh oh, mccown's son yeah uh, no doubt. Got, got the start for colorado i wasn't 
the the best game for Colorado, but I, I mean, he he held his own. He had over sixty percent completions, had, had a touchdown. So um, you know that Colorado program's uh, you know it's a little bit of a little bit of disarray right now. Uh, they're they're not very good, but uh, crazy crazy that Josh McCown's kids now starting in college football. That, it's insane. Like he was just playing the league like two years ago. So it kind of speaks yeah. to how long his career was. Uh, Probably could still play right now. Yeah, I mean, I, know, I, I, no he, question. Yeah, uh, he'll be a coach, a coach uh, pretty shortly here. It seems like things are pointed in that direction. Uh, last category here with you, Dan. We're going to do our film room recap. Uh, I know you've been grinding away with the film room. I spent a lot of time Friday and Sunday uh, going through some college tape as well and just kind of uh, catching up on some guys. So excited to hear uh, who has caught your eye most in the last week. Yeah, so many guys we could, we could talk about here. Um, but I, I, I want to go back to that Maryland-Michigan game, uh, watching the tape. Uh, Sunday morning and uh, Mozzie Smith, uh, he became a a more well-known name this summer after Bruce Feldman put him at number one on the freaks list. Uh, I don't think he had done a lot on the field up to that point, but that's starting to change this season. Uh, His tape versus Maryland on Saturday was really impressive. Uh, He had eight tackles. Uh, He's just a hard guy to move as the nose tackle. Even when he faces double teams, he doesn't move. Uh, he's really powerful at contact. He can create knockback, shed single blocks. Uh, the the initial quickness, the flexibility, it's just rare for a guy almost 340 pounds. Uh, he'll use shake and swim. He's got a stab move. Uh, he, he can go through blocker shoulders. And one reason I wasn't sky high on uh, Jordan Davis uh, this past year uh, as a prospect, I liked him, but I wasn't as high as other people. Uh, the lack of snaps per game. D- Davis averaged, what, 24 snaps per game uh, at Georgia uh, as a senior. Mozzie Smith, I mean, he's he played 60 snaps in Maryland, and he was playing at a high level deep into the fourth quarter. So those freaky, freaky traits, I think they're starting to show up more and more on tape. And this is a defensive tackle class we talked about before as being uh, you know, one of the strengths of potential strengths of the 2023 class, uh, especially with these underclassmen. Mozzie Smith right there in that mix to be uh, one of the, if he's going to, those freaky traits are going to show up more and more on the, on the film, on the football field. He it's, it's going to be harder and harder to keep him out of, you know, the top 60 conversation, top Mm. 30 conversation. He's a really intriguing player. Do you think like just pure, like kind of the same conversation with Jordan Davis and just like pure nose tackle, right? Like we're not talking anything else uh, in terms of scheme and position versatility. You know, I don't know. It's a good question because he has quickness to them. So, I mean, I don't, I don't want to say that he can't do some of these other things. Um, I, I think that's probably where he's best because he can absorb those double teams. He, he can, if you give him a single blocker, he's got a good chance he's going to beat him. So, I, I think that's probably where his strength is as, as a nose tackle or you know lining up uh, over the center's outside outside shoulder. But uh, you know, I. I don't know if I want to say just yet that he, he can't maybe line up at a few other spots. That, that Michigan defensive lines, it's, it's an interesting point because last year it was such a strength with, with uh, Aiden Hutchinson yeah. and, uh, you know, some of the guys they had up front. This year, I don't. It, it didn't feel like that, but watching that Maryland game, you could tell they're starting to figure things out. They've got a really good rotation with some of their ends, with Mozzie Smith in the middle. If he's going to be creating that disruption, that Michigan defensive line is going to be uh, a problem for for big tough, Big Ten offensive lines. I, I know scouts are probably already uh, licking their lips uh, for what that that Ohio State Michigan game could be later in the season. So, Mozzie Smith, a guy that's pr- relatively new to the being on the on the draft radar. I want to talk about a guy that has been on my radar personally for it feels like forever because uh, this guy's been in college football for five plus years. That's Florida defensive back 
Trey Dean. And he first jumped on the scene as a true freshman starter on the outside at 6'2 and a half, over 200 pounds. And you're like, all right, well, like this guy's got really good size. He's an outside corner. He did that for his first couple of years on campus. Uh, 2019, they moved him to the slot. And he was like a big nickel star defender for them uh, in that defense. And then in 2020, they move him to safety, and so he's been a safety since that point. He's been it was like kind of in and out of the lineup, uh, starting lineup as a uh, when he made that move to safety, but now established as a starter. He's played a ton of football, and honestly, a lot of the traits that I wrote down after studying him as a freshman and as a sophomore are some of the same stuff that shows up with him as a safety. I studied three games from this season uh, this past weekend. And uh, number one, really reliable run defender. Very, very good coming downhill. Very comfortable playing close to the line of scrimmage. So uh, whether he's playing top down or down in traffic, I think he can, you can check the box there. Also just a very versatile coverage defender. I talked about all the spots he has lined up at throughout his career. So as a safety, you know, he plays to the boundary in that system, but you could feel comfortable playing him in a, do- a couple of different spots and say, okay, he's got that flexibility to come down and play against the slot, to match up against the tight end, uh, to do different things and move around in, in different uh, empty formations and match up from that standpoint. He's always been a really good blitzer and he's just productive across the board. He's always got his hands on the football. He's always uh, coming, playing downhill. So the end of the day, like, you know, Trey Dean, like, he's kind of a forgotten man. Like, I don't feel, you know, talking with scouts and people that have been through there, I don't think that, uh, you know, he's, like, at the top of everybody's uh, wish list uh, from Florida. But I don't know, man. Like, I sit down and I watch I watch, watch tape and I go through and I start checking boxes. And I'm like, I don't have a ton of, like, huge concerns with his film. He's not, like, the most explosive athlete. But outside of that, like, I don't know. Like, he, he checks a lot of boxes. I'm not sure how much work uh, you've done on him, Dane. But uh, Dean is an interesting player. Yeah, no, he is. And that safety group in the senior class, um, you know, I think depending on who you talk to, I mean, J.L. Skinner at the top from Boise State or, you know, there's a lot of uh, scouts like Jordan Jordan Battle from Alabama. Um, But after that, you know, there's a lot of debate about what that order is going to be. I don't think that there's a a set kind of, you know, hierarchy of these these guys. I mean, Dean's right there in the mix to be one of the first five to seven safeties uh, at the senior position among the seniors to come off the board. So, you know, he's competing with a lot of guys, but he's right there in the mix. And I, I agree with a lot of what you said. I mean, he's, you know, he, for a guy that size, he's got a big wingspan. Um, you know, he's, he's probably, you know, more like six, three, uh, you know, but he's got a pretty filled out frame. Uh, he can he help you in the run game. Um, he's got a little bit of versatility. So there's a, a lot of selling points. I hopefully we'll see him. I, I'm sure we will, you know, either at the senior bowl or shrine game, uh, you know, go up, have a chance to go up against some of the better, uh, you know, prospects from the senior class and it'll, it'll be good to evaluate him and make more of a one-on-one uh type of deal with those uh with those practices i also like you know a name that just popped in my head and it's a guy that i've just studied in the last couple of weeks from an nfl standpoint um deshaun elliott when he was coming out of texas he was like a pure mm-hmm. like post player ended up being like a late day three might have been even a seventh round pick coming out of texas to the baltimore ravens became a starter mm-hmm. in like relatively short order. So uh, I kind of look at Dean and I wonder if he has like, you know, a similar kind of body type and skill set. Uh, I wonder if that, if that's the kind of path he might see there uh, for Trey Dean, a kind of unheralded coming out, but um, coming from a big program, checks a lot of boxes and turns into a starter. Uh, we'll see uh, with Trey Dean, but um, Dane, good stuff as always, man. We will, uh, we will catch up with you next week. Uh, do you have anything dropping uh, on the athletic from a draft standpoint that we need to uh, keep our eyes out for? Uh, you know, my weekly draft watch, um, that's coming out. Um, I, I, it goes up every, every Thursday. So, um, you know, hopefully people check that out, try to hit on some of the major draft topics, um, you know, with, 
you know, last week it was the, the, the some uh, first year starters that are really uh, standing out week before is transfers. Um, so working through a few things uh, in terms of what I want to touch on this week, but um, yeah, just no working through the film. Um, it's, it's been fun uh, kind of discovering some new, new players. Like I said, that, Cade Stover at Ohio State. Every week he does something for Ohio State. Um, and he had two touchdowns against Wisconsin, but it, going back on the tape, it was his blocking that really, really stood out. Uh, it's just it, it's going to be fun when Ohio State goes up against uh, you know Penn State and some some tougher opponents just to see how they hold up because it's it's a really fun offense when they're clicking. Yeah, things are really starting to kind of like settle into place where we get an idea of who a lot of these teams are. And now we're starting to project what are these matchups that are going to really matter here uh, in the second half of the season. Well, Dane, uh, good, like I said, good stuff as always. Also, be sure to check out Dane uh, on the Prospect of Pros podcast. It's dropping on the Athletic Football Show feed. Uh, I know you guys have had two, is it two or three episodes now, Dane? Uh, you and Andy Staples, and it's been a, a fun listen so far. So everyone make sure go check Dane out uh, over on that feed as well. Dane, we will talk to you next week here on the Journey of the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. What makes those great players great? It's time to roll up our sleeves and go under the hood. All right, so this week here on Under the Hood, really excited to welcome back to the show a guy who's been on numerous times, needs no introduction, Kyle Krabs from the Draft Network. You can check him out over on the Draft Dudes podcast with Joe Marino. Kyle, uh, welcome back to the show, my man. Brian, it's great catching up with you, my guy. It's, it's been a long time. This was probably the, like the longest offseason in my mind in the history of football. So <laughs> I'm glad that we survived it and we're kind of back in the swing of things here. We, we made it through. We're officially past the uh, the quarter pole mark uh, of the college season. Uh, week three uh, of the NFL season just finished up. So um, just insane how fast it goes. But here we are in the thick of things. And so uh, really the, the goal of this segment, not necessarily to talk about specific players uh, in this draft class, but just want to kind of talk big picture. And we're going to mm-hmm. pick like a different position every single week. What's going to be fun about this conversation is I have no idea which position we're going to talk about going into it. Uh, So I will ask to start things off your favorite position to study. You know, maybe it's the one that you feel most confident in. Maybe it's the one that's just your favorite to watch. But uh, what is your your number one position uh, when you look at just kind of evaluating players? What do you feel most confidence in during the evaluation process? So my my favorite is quarterbacks for the depth that you have to go into for kind of understanding the game. But the area that I have feel like I have the most confidence in and and really kind of intrinsically enjoy because I feel like the the understanding of the position comes most naturally to me is your edge group. Okay. You know, your, your your outside pass rushers, defensive linemen. Uh that group to me, uh, when I played the lower levels of football, be explicitly clear. We didn't yeah. get too far up the ladder on on the rungs, but Oh, that was kind of where I lived. And so I, I studied that position group a little earlier because it was what I had to know how to play the game. And uh, I think that that has kind of bred this intrinsic passion for me on on pass rushers who went off the outside. With that in mind, let's uh, let's talk through uh, scouting pass rushers and some of the the traits that you value most. And uh, I'll I'll start there. Do you have when you're sitting down uh, to to watch an edge rusher or just thinking about your process? Do you have any non-negotiables at that position? Is there something where you're like, all right, well, it's really hard for me to to consider a player a great prospect without this trait? Yeah, I don't think you can be a slow slow burn guy out there. I think you got to have explosiveness, yeah. and you could define explosiveness, you know, depending on the system that you're playing in, as you know, explosiveness with with your first step get off explosiveness can be identified with your hand power and how you create knockback at the line of scrimmage. So like. 
there's different ways that you could identify it, but if you're not a quick twitch player and you're you're kind of a, a you need that runway to build up the pathways that I think are there for you to be an impact player at the next level really do get mitigated and cut down. And, and then the question becomes, okay, do you have a, uh, a a specific role that you could play to get on a 53-man roster? But if I'm, if I'm scouting impact players or starters or high highly coveted prospects, you got to have explosiveness first and foremost. That That's a pretty hard one for me to get off of. How do you kind of gauge it when it comes to guys that show it on film, but then uh, don't show it in testing, and then vice versa? Guys, where you watch him on tape, and you're like, ah, I don't know if he's fast enough off the ball, um, but then he goes and has like some outrageous ten yard split uh, in Indianapolis in February. How do you kind of juxtapose players like that? Yeah, I mean, I, I think that the player that comes to mind like that is uh, what Jordan Willis from Kansas State a couple yeah, of years sure. back, right? Where it was like his his athletic testing was just out of this world. But then you watched him at, at Kansas State and you didn't really see it. So uh, in a perfect world, the, the tape and testing, as we all know, aligns and you don't have to make that decision. But uh, I do try to, with all positions and in, in all qualities, I will try to to make the point, and this has been an evolution of mine, to really invoke when I'm communi- communicating about players, uh, functional athleticism, functional explosiveness versus timed explosiveness. So obviously there there is the difference between the combine and the pro day and, and the, the training that's involved in those versus can I see you get out of the blocks? You know, and if I could see you consistently stressing tackles with your first two steps when you you fire out of your stance, or if I'm seeing you consistently reduce angles for yourself when you throw that inside hand and you go to long arm and convert speed to power and you're having success in getting that tackle to walk back and turn his shoulders to kind of open the gate for yourself, I'll usually defer to the film if I'm on the fence. But it does, you do kind of have that, uh, conflict when you get all the information if it doesn't line up and most of the time my gut and i'm i'm deep enough in this now this will be my 10th year in in draft uh scouting draft prospects where i'll trust my gut with the tape if i feel like now it might cause the if i got two guys that i i consider to be equal um it might be a tiebreaker where i swing another way sure but generally speaking I'll, i'll lean on that tape first and foremost and that's what's it's so tough to to be able to uh, contextualize that in, in terms of the differences between a guy that runs fast and times fast versus a guy that just plays fast and, uh, right. you know, just finding different ways to say, all right, well, uh, you know, how, how explosive is he when he, there's no contact versus like seeing that explosiveness show up like after contact playing off a block. Does that same, uh, that same twitch that you see uh, in shorts uh, in Indianapolis on the turf, uh, does that show up when, you know, you have to stack and shed a block and you're like, whoa, like, all right, there's, there's that movement, uh, on right. film. Um, that, that's one of those markers that I'm always kind of looking for. But again, that can be a tough to find and be uh, tough to be able to quantify. And that's what um, is just so interesting, especially now the teams are getting more uh, of this GPS data. Uh, the, and this goes for all positions, how important and how valuable that can be for clubs uh, and obviously not available to us in the media yet. But uh, my guess is that will be, that will be the case at some point, Sooner um, or later. but we'll see uh, down the road. I think we're still a ways away um, from that being the case. So uh, outside of explosiveness, just kind of run through like your other three traits. That you're like, okay, this is what I place most value on. Uh, maybe you, you kind of go through the, those three fast and we can like kind of uh, chop, chop it up about one of them. 
Sure. Um, I'm looking at at hand uh, block deconstruction skills, you know, whether that's that's length or hand technique, uh, motor and effort, second level or second effort, third effort plays. Uh, That's pretty. Pretty that's that was like number two, non-negotiable. And then the other one for me is functional strength as far as if you're going to be a, a primary player or a, a high volume player yep. need to trust you to hold at the point of attack and i think the beauty of, of the edge position is there are so many different styles of systems that that players can be projected into where i think there's more pathways for you to find success for players that do have limitations where you can contextualize okay he might not have functional strength to reduce inside and play an inside shade on a tackle but if I'm going to play him as a stand-up and he's dealing with skill players or, or kick-out blocks on the edge, you can maybe find some more peace with a guy like that. I love it because to me, like when we start talking about players and it, it's, it gets into like the evaluation versus valuation discussion yeah. is like, okay, well, yeah, like this guy can do this really, really well. If you want to use him in space, if you want to get him, uh, you know, you're going to uh, construct different things within your scheme to, to keep him free. Uh, and maybe that's how he's going to have to be used early on in his career. That, that's all well and good, but you have to understand he's not going to be an every-down player. And if he's not going to be an every-down player and he's only going to play uh, you know, in those high-leverage, like pass-only situations, maybe that's 18 snaps a game. What are you willing to pay for that piece? And I think that will change from team to team, especially the teams that are looking for like that one final like uh, uh, cherry on top on your defense. Maybe that, that changes the math a little bit. But uh, I do think that that part of it, uh, in terms of that the functional strength, the ability to hold up at the point of attack, if you can't, well, you're very limited in terms of how a team's going to be able to use you. Yeah, absolutely. And it, it's I, I love the fact that you reference teams that are looking for the final piece, right? And, and I think you, you've seen that with a couple of teams that have drafted. I mean, look at the Buffalo Bills, and, and yes. it's not an edge rusher, but but what they did with James Cook in the second round yep. this year. And you know, knowing full well, they got a couple of guys that can tote the rock at a high level. So just kind of understanding where all 32 teams are or at individual, you can try to read the tea leaves on how willing they are going to be to invest early in more of a specialized individual skill set versus wanting an all-encompassing uh, collection of skills that you feel like you can really get hands-on and work with, and then they can be more of a cornerstone type piece for you. Yeah, and that's why, like, the just having the discussions both pre- and post-draft of, like, oh, well— you know, James Cook, he was my RB8, and they took him as the RB3. And what were they thinking? It's like, well, no, like you have to have that context of uh, how all 32 teams are going to view each individual player uh, and understanding, all right, well, this is what uh, this guy can bring to this team versus how a different team at a different uh, stage of the team-building process would view that guy. So I'm glad that you kind of made that comparison too because, again, it, it does go and, ch- and change from position uh, to position. Um, next question I've got for you, how have your evaluations on on edge rushers evolved over time do you think do you look back at old reports and say like man i don't know what i was thinking uh with this do you look at that and say like yeah this is where i've grown most yeah i i would like to say you learn enough hard lessons for being dismissive of of talents that might not look the way that you were originally indoctrinated it was supposed to look when you were first learning the game and he's like oh no he's not for me well those guys will go on to have success too right and it's it's more so and um Quarterback coach Jordan Palmer said this to us last fall on Draft Dudes, and I loved it. And he was talking about quarterbacks, but I do think it is relevant in a lot of different positions. Teams bust on players just as often or more often than players bust on teams. So understanding who a player is and is not, and then asking them and consistently putting them in positions to do those things or not do those things, um, 
Oh, it, it's really made me exhaust a lot more of my energy. Uh, my energy now is more about, okay, where are the pathways and systems in the NFL and environments where this player can have success as compared to, oh, well, he's 228 pounds. He's not going to be able to do this. Yep. Right. So, so that for me is the biggest thing is, is I'm at the point now where you can watch the the film and you can generally understand within your, your standard three or four games, who a player is or is not at this point in time right. physically, but understanding their path to playing the game, were they a late bloomer? Did they start playing their junior year of, of high school and they only have a couple of years under their belt? Were they uh, a kid that was a hard gainer who was a, a one-star or two-star athlete who had to eat like crazy in college to stack a bunch of weight on. And, and suddenly the way that they're able to play the game is new to them because physically they've totally transformed their bodies. It, it's more of the, the individual as compared to the film rooted studies now that changes, but you no, know, you're seeing more of these position, not positionless defenses, but more of the exotics where, where you're getting concentrated effort. You almost have a, a separate sub package of players for, your third and mids and your third and longs. And knowing that those players with the way that the game is played now, they do still hold a lot of weight. Um, it, it's opened me to be more receptive to, to slot players into maybe not round one conversation. Yep. Cause those are generally the guys I consider to be complete prospects who would fit in most, if not all systems across the league, but those sub package group guys, uh, I think I, I found myself more willing to, personally invest myself in, in them being successful NFL players by projecting them as, as kind of mid to late day two type prospects. And every once in a while, one of those guys will go to a place and they'll catch lightning in a bottle. And next thing you know, they're, they're a consistent double digit sack guy too. Yeah. I think it again, goes back to that like valuation versus evaluation and just understanding like, all right, well, what, what plays in the league? And it's, it goes back to even like, what do we talk about every training camp? Who's going to make the 53? It's all the more you can do, the more you can do. And, it's almost like we forget about that conversation when it's draft time because then it's like, oh, well, this guy is just this as opposed to, uh, you know, he can't do X, Y, Z. It's like, all right, well, if the guy can only be an early downs run defender, like, all right, well, what, what does that mean? Like, how, how many snaps a game does that guy play? Uh, and what value does that bring to your defense? Um, I, that's where I feel like I have grown most, too, is just having an understanding. All right, well, you know, this guy might be, uh, you know, he's big, he's long, he's really strong, he's a good run defender. I don't know what his pass rush upside is. I, I think, you know, he's a day three only guy. He's a late round pick. And it's like, yeah, but defenses around the league, like, use those guys and play, and they'll, they, they might play. 35, 40 snaps a game, and, you know, you, it's ho it's kind of ho-hum in terms of, like, impact in the pass game, but they play a lot. And so just having an understanding of, like, what are the what value do those guys bring? I, I love that part of the of the conversation. Well, and, for and sure. friend, real real quick, too, just to piggyback off of that, for a name that Philadelphia Eagles fans will be, be quick to, to recognize, Kyron Johnson from yeah. Kansas. Yep. From this year's class is a, a day three selection. Talk about more you can do and play in teams, and he shows up at the senior bowl, and it's like, this guy plays edge like right. he, he looks like a big safety out there. Right. But but the versatility that he had in some of the non-negotiables, he, he's got explosiveness and he's got second effort the motor, and, and yeah, no a doubt. great motor. And that that's the pathway. And then just get on a 53. And from there, you know, your own personal development and who you are as a person is really going to allow you to make the most of those opportunities if you handle it the right way. Yeah, and I feel like this conversation already kind of stems into what my final question always is, and that's just like the the landscape of the league and just the value of this position. But I guess let me just frame it this way. 
it's it's not often that we get the, those pass rushers that check all of the boxes, right? Where you look at it it's like, all right, well, uh, this guy's got explosiveness, he's got block destru- destruction, he's got motor, he's got functional strength, he's got all the size and athleticism traits you're looking for. Um, those guys, though, at the end of the day, when you have them, super valuable, and that's ultimately why like a Trayvon Walker goes one overall, right? Well, maybe maybe a year ago at this time, you would have thought that we were nuts uh, to say that Trayvon Walker was going to go number one in 2022. Right. Um, but I think at the end of the day, when you have guys that check all of those boxes, they're worth their weight in gold. Absolutely, and um, even even the ones that aren't, you know, it's you could still be perceived as a starter, just a scheme specific starter yep, sure. too, right? And it's do you want to primarily stay in your rushers up? You want to put them hand in the dirt. Indianapolis Colts love those guys that they can end up kicking inside and rushing from a three technique or lining up over top of the guards and and get after it from interior blocks and um, complement what they have there in DeForest Buckner. So you've got guys that want to rush you outside and and play outside and, and work out into space. And then there's other ones that they want to start you in a tight alignment and roll you down inside. And I think that that's the the part of it that you know, even the guys who don't check all those boxes, that they're still so coveted because they play such a critical role in disrupting the timing of opposing offenses. And um, you know, the the league tells you plenty of what they think about those guys because when you got starting caliber players who are productive, they are always, always, always paid. You can check out more of Kyle's analysis on Twitter. Follow him there at Grinding the Tape. Check out the Draft Dudes podcast, everything over at the Draft Network. Kyle, thanks so much for joining us once again here on the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand. Fran, it was great catching up with you. Hope to chat again soon. Enjoy the season. All right, so great stuff here from Dane Brugler and Kyle Krabs in this week's uh, Journey to the Draft podcast. We'll be back a little bit later this week. Ben Fennell, uh, Ross Tucker, we're going to have another special guest. Make sure you stay tuned right here to the Journey to the Draft podcast presented by LifeBrand.